if we can be Irish in the Pride Parade, maybe we could be our lesbian and gay selves in the Irish Parade. This is Little America, a show about the immigrant experience one story at a time. I am your host, Kamel Nanjiani. So we all have a number of identities that we're holding on to at one time. You could be a Buddhist Laker fan who eats vegan, votes Republican. Sure, that works. But what happens when you know who you are, but the rest of the world sees it as a contradiction, telling you that you have to choose, that you don't get to be all of those things at once? When that happens, sometimes you just got to take to the streets and march in a damn parade to be loud and proud about who you are and to let a whole crowd of other people know there's a place for you and others like you. And today's story is about that. It's about a man named Brendan Fay who has taken to parades to fight for the opportunity to live openly as, well, <laughs> himself. Here's Harry Spitzer with the story. Nineteen ninety-one was the first year Brendan Fay marched in the iconic St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City, and since every parade's a chance to see and be seen, obviously he put a lot of thought into his outfit. I laid out a shirt. I was going to wear a tie, a waistcoat. I cut out a piece of cardboard in the shape of a triangle. I attached shamrock stickers, and also attached a tricolor of the Irish flag. To finish the look, Brendan borrowed a kilt from his landlady, a perfect fit for his tiny five foot four inch frame, and set off down Fifth Avenue, nervous, but also excited. I said to someone how, I am so proud. For the first time, the three parts of myself are out and together. Today, I am Irish, I am Catholic, I am gay. And I feel for the first time at home in broad daylight, Brendan was surrounded by a group of queer Irish friends all celebrating their shared moment on the avenue. But not everyone was cheering for their arrival. Almost as soon as we begin to walk, the jeer begins, you know. Die, fags. Get AIDS. If you're gay, you can't be Irish. I knew in my heart that this would be the parade that would change my life forever. Brendan comes from a small town outside Dublin where he says there was no St. Patrick's Day parade when he was a little kid. Actually, the place sounds nothing like the way I've always pictured the Irish countryside. People in New York often ask me here that Ireland is lovely and full of green fields and all that, and did I grow up on a landscape like that? And I told them I grew up actually in a council housing estate and that my father worked in the local asbestos factory. The biggest buildings in the town, in fact, were the Catholic churches. As one of seven kids, Brendan knew at an early age that he was a little different from his brothers. My father and my older brother Peter loved the soccer matches. And in fact, all of the boys and the men of the neighborhood, that seemed to be what they loved. This was not for me. I started to seek in other places in the town where I could be myself. The love of my life growing up as a child actually was hanging out with the local nuns, 
Sometimes my family would, would laugh at me and my other sisters said, Brendan, you're so religious, there's even steam coming out of your rosary base. Brendan loved ringing the bell in the big polished hall of the nun's convent. He loved seeing them dressed up in their habits. He loved the nun's compassion and warmth, the pageantry of the communion, the invitation into magical thinking. And Brendan loved getting on his bike at the crack of dawn and pedaling away from the stone-gray sameness of his neighborhood to make it in time for 6.30 a.m. mass. We would have benediction and with songs and hymns and incense and all of it and just being connected to some other world. Um, and basically, to me, that's actually what religion is about, is taking you out of the mundane and helping your heart and your soul soar a little bit. When he was a teenager, Brendan went off to Catholic boarding school thinking he'd find some kind of career in the church. But around that same time, he also started to understand his sexuality, and he opened up about it to his teachers. And I would say, you know, I'm a homosexual. And of course, you've no idea how many of them were only too happy to pray to help me find a cure. The rest of adolescence didn't improve much from there, and not just because he was gay. Brendan was also almost always the shortest boy in any room, making him an easy target for bullies. They'd beat him up, throw cow manure at him, and a little bit ironically, lock him in closets. Then a new Catholic movement came to town, a so-called charismatic renewal. They had a progressive take on Catholicism that bypassed the bishops and priests and tapped directly into the Holy Spirit, all the transcendence minus the bureaucracy. Brendan was hooked, and after graduating from a university near Dublin, when he got the chance to keep studying religion in the States, he said, hell yes. As far as everyone was concerned, it was to do graduate studies in America, in New York. But really, what it was about was I could not wait to get out because I could not breathe as a gay man in Ireland. At the time, it was a criminal offense to be gay. And I'm so glad to say goodbye and to get on a plane and try and leave it behind. Of course, here's the thing about migration and immigration. We leave nothing behind. You actually carry it with you. New York City in the summer of... 1984, when I arrived, there's the heat, the noise. I was stunned at the diversity of people in the city. I loved the sights and sounds of New York. I remember sitting on the subways, and to me, it was like music, listening to people speaking in so many different languages. But it wasn't long before I came face to face with the other side of New York the more gritty, the more painful side of life in the city. Of course, there's, there's homeless in Ireland and there's those who are hungry in Ireland. But to see it in New York City, uh, the sight of people literally lying in cardboard in a, the city of so much wealth and, and richness and beauty was, was quite a shock. Brendan moved into a shoebox apartment in Queens with a single tiny window, a twin bed and a small desk. He quickly found a job that put his religious training to good use. I was a religion teacher in a girls' Catholic school in Queens. I know, not a great career choice and move for someone who was gay. Brendan loved his students. He'd use religious stories to teach the importance of faith, charity, hope, and grace. He'd encourage the girls to advocate for their beliefs, even drafting letters to the Pope if that's what it took. 
But if school was one bright spot for Brendan, the brightest spot, and if he was honest with himself, the real reason he'd wanted to move to the city in the first place was somewhere else entirely. In Ireland, we all knew about Christopher Street. I just knew that that's where the gay community gathers, meets, hangs out in New York City. There was something very sacred and moving about stepping off the train at West 4th Street for the first time in my life, seeing men who were gorgeous and lovely and some in leather and some in shorts and some feeling being, well, literally, they felt free enough to flaunt themselves and be themselves. Every second building was a bar, you know. I remember going for the first time into bars like Marie's Crisis. And there were people gathering around the piano, singing their hearts out all these Broadway tunes. I mean, can you imagine walking down Christopher Street and seeing for the first time men holding hands openly with one another? At the same time, it was the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And I was learning, this is what we do. We celebrate our lives. We continue to come out. We connect and bond with one another. And so this was the world that I was stepping into. So Brendan was learning, but it's not like he landed on Christopher Street and suddenly felt whole. Sometimes he'd stand outside this one bookshop in the village that had a giant rainbow flag waving over the door, and he'd just freeze and ask himself, can I really go in? What if someone sees me, someone from the other part of my life, the Irish Catholic part? And then, one day walking through the neighborhood, Brendan noticed another rainbow flag, this one on the door of a Catholic church. He found out that it was put there by a group of gay and lesbian congregants who held weekly meetings in the basement. Brendan started going. He started to see how he could use the lessons of Catholicism to reclaim the self-love that religion had nearly erased. Instead of praying away the gay, the group taught him to pray for things like compassion and acceptance and no cover at Marie's crisis for their post-meeting drinks. So when Pride Weekend arrived summer of 1990, six years after Brendan landed in New York City, for the first time, he and a group of queer Irish friends who called themselves the Irish Lesbian and Gay Organization, or ILGO for short, headed down to the village to march. ILGO walking down, hot, gorgeous. It had all that kind of 80s kind of hotness and disco rhythms and beats. So when that anthem, I'm coming out, will play from the floats, and there's color and there's noise and there's... Um, waving and thousands of, of people on the sides, whether you're wearing feather, leathers, whatever. It's like, be yourself. Be yourself. There was something about this experience that felt familiar. The sense of soaring, the magical break from the mundane, even the fancy outfits. It was kind of like church. So that's when I realized parades are important. They're often where we first experience a sense of belonging to something bigger than our lonely world. A few days later, Brendan woke up with an idea. If we can be Irish in the Pride Parade, maybe we could be our lesbian and gay selves in the Irish Parade. Remember that thing about parades changing his life? So here's where it really started. And the Irish parade he's talking about was, of course, the Fifth Avenue St. Patrick's Day Parade. Along with the Macy's Parade and the Marathon, it's one of the biggest events in New York. 
The Fifth Avenue Parade culminates an entire season of St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And to Brendan, all this spelled opportunity. So we started meeting every month with ILGO to put together their application to march as a group in the Fifth Avenue Parade. And they knew what words they'd put on their banner. Irish, lesbian, and gay. They submitted their proposal to an Irish Catholic organization called the Ancient Order of Hibernians. What a name. They had been running the show since the mid-19th century. No groups were allowed to march in the parade or fly their banner without the Hibernians' hallowed stamp of approval. Word came back in January, more or less saying, sorry, uh, we'll have to put you on a waiting list. A journalist from the New York Post heard that their small group of queer Irish immigrants was waitlisted from the St. Patrick's Day parade and wrote about it. That article caught the eye of the newly elected mayor of New York City, David Dinkins. Fellow New Yorkers, friends all, brothers and sisters. Okay, so David Dinkins, he was the first black mayor of the city, inaugurated in 1990. I see New York as a gorgeous mosaic of race and religious faith, of national origin and sexual orientation, of individuals whose families arrived yesterday and generations ago, coming through Ellis Island or Kennedy Airport or on buses bound for the Port Authority. All those hardships Brandon was struck by when he arrived in New York, the staggering rates of homelessness, the drugs, the wealth and racial disparities, that's what Dinkins was inheriting. And he saw Brandon's crew as a piece of that mosaic. So when Dinkins got word that they had been waitlisted from the parade, he stepped in. The African-American mayor of New York, David Dinkins, offered to everyone to extend the parade by an hour or two to accommodate all of the 40 groups that were on this waiting list. Next, the Hibernians said no, they were not interested. The organizer of the parade did not want a banner with those words gay and lesbian. Banners describe a piece of our human and cultural identity. So having that banner is huge and very important. Mayor David Dinkins began to negotiate among the groups. A compromise was reached. When Mayor Dinkins realized Ilgo couldn't march with a banner that told the world who they were, he gave up one of his major honors as mayor, forfeiting his prime spot leading the St. Patrick's Day Parade from the front so that he could march with Brendan and his friends instead, way at the back. The mayor of New York would be their banner. And with that, Brendan and Ilgo were all set to be the first openly queer group ever allowed to march in the Fifth Avenue St. Patrick's Day Parade. That was the same day Brendan set off in his landlady's kilt to join a massive crowd of onlookers all done up in green, only to be met by some pushback. At the same time as all these jeers, screams at Mayor David Dinkins, and he's just waving at people and walking with us. Every time I heard a boo, if anything, it strengthened my resolve. It convinced me that this was the right thing to do. Because most people in our town are good people. As the group approached St. Patrick's Cathedral, Brendan noticed Cardinal John O'Connor waiting at the top of the stairs. Normally what happens at this moment is the cardinal comes down the steps of the cathedral to greet the, the leaders of the group, and especially dignitaries like the mayor of the city of New York. 
but O'Connell didn't budge. Not a huge surprise, since he'd historically been pretty outspoken against gay rights. The whole world is watching this moment. And the mayor of New York City goes up the steps of the cathedral and stretches out his hand and instead reaches out to greet the cardinal. It's, it's quite the reverse. To me, forever, what we will remember is this is the mayor of New York City almost mentoring, teaching, modeling. This is what you do in the face of terrible prejudice and hate. The next day, word came from the mayor's office that we were to meet in Sheridan Square. That's where the Stonewall Bar is. And before we know it, we're all singing to him and thanking him and hugging him for his courage, for his support, for his friendship. A gaggle of parents and friends showed up too. Someone brought an accordion, someone else a banjo. As the music picked up, so did the crowd, and Brendan said pretty soon the square was packed with onlookers, including press. It was an impromptu Celtic dance party in the West Village on a bright Sunday afternoon. Is it safe to say when you were celebrating that you didn't kind of know the the trouble that was in store? Oh no, I had no idea. The next day I get to the school, all the girls are outside and next they're all saying, Mr. Fay, saw you in the news, saw you in the paper. But then he said the principal's sister called him into her office. And more or less said, how could you do this to the academy? Parents are calling and saying, how could their children's religion teacher be gay? Within a couple of weeks, I was given uh, the pink slip. So for the record, at the time, the school claimed they weren't renewing Brendan's contract because of issues with his performance that were unrelated to the parade. And then I was told I was being fired because my pedagogical skills were unsatisfactory. But I'll never forget the loneliness of that experience. He wasn't just gutted over the loss of a job. Brendan mourned his spiritual community. This school was where he'd been exploring the tenets of his faith. These people were his sounding board for how to reach a state of grace. Also, when people started to find out he'd been fired, it wasn't just the Catholics passing judgment. In the lesbian and gay community, many people said to me, you see, Brendan, when are you ever going to learn? What else did you expect from religion and Irish Catholicism? It reinforced every negative stereotype my gay and lesbian community had about Irish people. And um, next it became headlines everywhere. Gay man is, gets fired by nuns over parade. In my hometown, my mother was like, how are we going to walk the streets of this town? So the guy's relationship with his family back home was strained. He was out of work, and he had to move to an even smaller attic apartment in Queens. That's when a different headline caught his attention. I remember the day I opened up Newsday. And there was a letter signed by a couple of girls, these teenage girls, in support of their teacher, Mr. Fay. The letter from the girls helped Brendan feel a little bit less alone. And it also lit a fire. He formed a new group, the Lavender and Green Alliance, and submitted applications for St. Patrick's Day parades across all five New York boroughs. Brendan remembers hearing back one by one, and the answer was always no. Still... His group tried their luck and marched anyways. They were not well received. 1993 is the year over 200 of us are arrested 
for the first time. It was very strange being put in handcuffs in America on St. Patrick's Day for wanting to be in your community's parade. By now, Dinkins was out of office after just one term, replaced by none other than Rudy Giuliani, who was not exactly an ally. So the city's official institutions were no longer an option for the Lavender and Green Alliance. At this point, though, Brendan had thicker skin, and it helped that he now worked in a furniture store with a gay boss who didn't care where or when he marched as long as he showed up for his shift. For six years, he tried to march in the city's parades and kept getting arrested, until finally he'd had enough. I remember I came home to my beloved Tom, and I said, Tom, I am going to apply to the New York City Police Department for a parade permit. I'm going to create a parade that will become known for its spirit of welcome and hospitality for everyone. And I told him it will be known as St. Pat's for all. After a lifetime of seeking out spaces where he could be himself, Brendan decided it was time to make one of his own. While brainstorming next steps with a friend over Chilean food in Queens, Brendan was approached by the chef. He'd overheard their plans and invited them into his kitchen. Do you see that picture on the wall? He said, from Chile. This is our hero of Chile. Bernard O'Higgins, Irish, key leader of our independence movement in Chile. Listen, Brendan, do you think you would include a Chilean contingent in your parade? I remember sitting back down and thinking, the word inclusion has come to mean something totally new to me. Brendan finally understood what Mayor Dinkins meant by New York's cultural mosaic a decade earlier. Soon he was on the phone with the NAACP and reaching out to Mexican, trans, Puerto Rican, and Muslim communities to see if they wanted to participate. When he couldn't get the Irish government's official chaplain to offer an opening blessing for their parade, Brendan called up a member of the Choctaw Nation. He said, Brendan, listen, how about a Choctaw blessing? Five-second silence. And I said, oh, that would be lovely. On Sunday, March 5th, 2000, Brendan met his team at daybreak in Sunnyside, Queens, to prepare for the first St. Pat's for All. The upside of their limited funding, there was no stage to set up, no sound check on a fancy PA, but they still had marchers to wrangle, banners to unfurl, flyers condemning the sodomites to take down, and local police to coordinate with. And then, following the Choctaw blessing, they were off. This was an expression of Irishness like never before. It was. It sounds like it was an expression, honestly, of Americanness. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, it was. Because look, in, in the St. Pat's World Parade, all of a sudden you had the Mexican contingent, you had the Chilean contingent, you had the Korean contingent, you had some Irish counties, you had teenagers, you had LGBT groups, and we were all there. It was the type of St. Patrick's Day celebration Brendan had known was possible. He just didn't realize he'd be the one to create it. We don't live as human beings alone and in isolation. We need connection with others. As someone who is gay, I cannot take that for granted. This is one of those things you hear a lot. And not too long ago, I would have been like, yeah, I totally get it. Kind of like how someone gets Miley Cyrus's wrecking ball when they've never been through a breakup. And then I came out of the closet. This was six years ago. Gradually, I started allowing myself to do things I distanced myself from for so long. 
going into queer bookstores, dancing in queer spaces, dating men. Instead of the Lavender and Green Alliance, I joined a gay men's chorus. And about a year after coming out, I finally attended my first Pride Parade. And that's when I really understood what Brendan doesn't take for granted. How something as seemingly small as walking in a parade, wearing glitter and maybe making out with a cute stranger, how these things mean a lot after a lifetime without them. So this past March, I got up at the crack of dawn on a Sunday to join Brendan for a parade in the Bronx. As I headed out to meet him, it struck me that so much of what Brendan had hoped for in 1999 has happened. He pulled it off. Brendan's an American citizen. He's legally married to a supportive, loving husband who, by the way, baked us a delicious Irish soda bread. Even the Pope now supports same-sex civil unions, and the Lavender and Green Alliance can march with their own banner in the Fifth Avenue Parade. But let us not forget the mounting effort to roll back queer rights, including the anti-trans bills across the country, and the rise in hate crimes. And in Staten Island, the Lavender and Green Alliance is still not invited to march with their banner. So, you know, a little giveth and a little taketh away. At the Bronx Parade, I saw in Brendan a man surrounded by a community that understood everything he'd done to bring a dream to life. You know, he was telling me how he was arrested back in 99, and here we are. It took all these years yeah. to get us here. Thanks to Brendan and others, I hope things are much better now. Much better. In so many ways, Brendan represents a different generation of queerness from me. He and other queer elders face challenges my generation doesn't. And yet, Brendan keeps marching in borough after borough, year after year, because there's still work to do. And today is a beautiful moment that will go out across the city of the big-hearted welcome of the Bronx on this day and I hope will inspire every other parade to open up its hearts as well. Besides, parades are always far more fun when you welcome the LGBT community. That same day, Brendan invited me to attend Mass with him. It was crowded because it was St. Patrick's Sunday, but we managed to score pews towards the middle. So this was my first Catholic Mass, and after hearing the dramatic choral music and seeing the priests rocking that bejeweled robe, all the colored vestments, the candelabras, and the carved angels, it was obvious why Brendan still loved it so much and how it was in harmony with his love of parades. It all felt pretty gay. I look around this church and I wonder how many of these youth who are here, people who are gathered here today are also like me who are also gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, and wonder if they belong. After the sermon, Brendan got up and headed to the front of the chapel. He joined the other congregants marching together down the center aisle to the altar. Watching him in his green shirt and tugging a little at his lavender sash, it finally clicked. Maybe this is where he got the idea for a certain kind of choreography that moves people. Every Sunday at church over the course of his whole life, he stepped into the religious ritual of communion, and he found his own little parade. 
Little America is an Apple TV Plus podcast from Epic, produced in conjunction with the Vox Media Podcast Network. This story was reported by Harry Spitzer. Our editor is Lisa Suwep. Our engineer is Adrian Lilly. Brandon McFarlane composed the show's theme song. Emma Gross is our senior producer. Zach Mack is our showrunner. Nishat Kurwa and Josh Behrman are the executive producers. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch Little America on Apple TV Plus where available. Season 2 of Little America premieres on Apple TV Plus on December 9th.